right? God had to, and he used my children and my pastor's wife to rebuke me. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord for her pastor's wife. Now I love Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read uh, the story here. Luke 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Carnerius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee and to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn. A son she wrapped in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them. And there were shepherds living on the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men in whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Father, we love you. We thank you, and we're always careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise. We thank you for allowing us to establish this time to recognize you for who you are. I pray that you would bless the word. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to now enter into the heart and to the minds of every person here. Change their lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I shared that I had an issue with this, but my, I guess the other side, does anybody want to go all the way with Jesus? God bless three of you. Let me say it again. I don't think you're, is, is the mic on? Does anybody want to go all the way with Jesus? I mean, I do. I want to go all the way. You remember when, when, when somebody dared you? If you're like, I dare you to do that. Oh, yeah, I double dare you. Oh, yeah, cross that line. You'll be jumping over the line, right? You can't get dared. Don't dare, don't dare me, right? Right? And so it's like a dare. Because I believe God comes to this time to many people, and he kind of tries to order us and let us focus, and he dares you. Let's go all the way. Amen? And so what happened here in the whole story, Luke is charged, the physician, to write about the birth of Jesus. And it was like the first step. He was trying to get us to cross that line. Because we know Christ was coming, but God wanted to get us 
to cross the line. He wants us to get into a place where no man has really been before, into his holiness, into the holy of holies. Right? Our first step. In Luke 1, 1 through 3, the physician is writing, and he says, Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those whom were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, the significance of Luke writing about the birth. Again, like I said earlier, he is a physician. And sometimes we don't understand the mindset of a physician unless you are a physician. It is the, the medical field that developed the method of research. Research wasn't even considered a, a discipline. People would just think about it but, and not consider it. But medical profession, they would build precept upon precept to improve their profession, their medical profession. So they had a mind to dig in and get the facts. They didn't, want to, they didn't believe anybody. They needed to find out. And even to this day, you go to your doctor, they're still researching every time you walk in. That's why they call it a practice. See, in my day, when you practice, like we practice for the game. See, me medical researchers always stand in the position of, we always practice. Because that just tells us that they're open to new ideals and to new research. And so Theophilus comes in here in his practice. He goes, I want to find out about this Jesus. He, they created all kinds of fuss. And so there was a man by the name of Theophilus right, who was a, a very wealthy man, a noble man, and he actually hired Luke to write Luke and the book of Acts. So the world was expecting a Savior, and God sent a baby. Now that didn't make sense. Think about that. In fact, it angered many people. Not only did God send a baby, but a child born in a barn. Now, I'm not from the country, right, I'm not. But I do know a little bit about the barn. When I was in the military, I wasn't a good boy. And then one time I got in trouble. They have a thing called an Article 15. You know, guys, know what an Article 15 means? You're in trouble. Well, I had an opportunity not to get an Article 15. But the only way I couldn't get the Article 15 is I had to go work in the barn. And they just begin to describe the barn to me. So I was first cavalry. And the first cavalry always have a, a unit of people that actually ride horses. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's cool, because I don't know about horses. I don't know about barns. But there's one thing about horses. They are not orderly when they use the restroom. <laughs> I mean, there's like no, no rhyme or reason. They could be walking in the middle, and you've probably seen the middle of parade, and hey, what is that horse doing, <laughs> right? And so I was charged with cleaning up the horse droppings. Can I say it like that? Or was it manure? That's the right word, manure. And, and so I had to get in there. I cleaned the horses. Has anybody been in a barn? You know what I'm talking about? And some people, to you, it's all no big deal. To me, it was a big deal. But the first thing I noticed about the barn, when I walked in that barn, it stunk. I oh my God, I should have took the Article 15. I mean, it was like, I got to go in this barn. And I'm not, and I, and trying to shove a hole in your breath, you can't do it. So eventually, guess what? I had to breathe. Now, I want you to get the picture, right? 
He was born in a barn. Now today, we lose, we lose the, the imagery of that barn because when you look at the nativity scene, right? You got so beautiful, right? The perfume manure, the obedient farm animals, I mean the, the cow, moo. Not causing, no, not causing no problem. It looked real cool. But that's not really how it was. Jesus came to a barn, right? So, so to, to those who were waiting for Messiah, something had to be wrong. Why would anybody, especially, you know, the Messiah, be born in a stinking barn with cows and pigs? I mean, come on. The only good thing a pig is for is after it's dead and you eat it. But when it's alive, it's no fun. My, my wife's sister actually had a pig pet. And this thing was about that big. Every time I've seen it, I just thought about chicharrones. You know, I, just want, I wanted to cook it. Barns. So how could and why would the Messiah be born in such an ugly place? I'm thinking about that. And I began to look at Scripture, and God often births His plans in the midst of the ugliest place. You never find God birthing his plan in, in the beautiful place. Now, the only time, I guess the only time he did it was in the Garden of Eden. After that, it was all downhill from there. When, when Joseph, who was second in command of Pharaoh, he, he didn't start there. He started in a prison cell. First, actually it gets worse. He started being abused by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, then put into a prison, and that was God's plan. And people say, I want to do God's plan. Well, you never know where God's plan will take you. The plan of Moses, when God's plan for Moses began with the homicide of an Egyptian. That's God's plan. In the middle of ugliness, God said, I got a plan. When the Apostle Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul, but when he was Saul, uh, the persecutor, he was chasing Christians around, wanting to imprison them, having some flogged and beaten. No, no, no. It started with this man. So God said, I got to use this guy. He's got zeal. Let me blind him. And he blinds Paul for three days. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown in a furnace and were doomed to be consumed by the fire. But that's where God's plan began. So then as I look at that as a backdrop, I go, you know, it makes sense. God never uh, begins his plan in the middle of, uh, of a rose garden. He often begins it in the middle of ugliness. So during this first Christmas day, the only thing wrong, really, was the people looking at the barn. So then those people that, in that day and age, they, they never understood God. The religious leader, those who, who come with a high piety and think they know God and, and walk around acting holier than thou, have no idea who God is. Because that's not God's MO. They couldn't recognize Jesus when he turned the tables over in the, in the temple. Why? And I'm going to tell you, it's very simple. They didn't really want to go all the way with Jesus. They, don't, they didn't want to cross the line. They liked Jesus. Even the Doobie Brothers liked Jesus. Now that's an oxymoron. Doobie means smoking joint. Doobie Brothers, and they, they write, Jesus is just all right with me. That doesn't fit, right? But everybody says, I love, I love Jesus. Oh, Jesus, me and Jesus, you know, he's my, my homeboy. I, I like, I love him. Really? Then I would challenge you. I got that line. Here's a dare. Cross that line. See, these people couldn't recognize Jesus. They expected a warrior conqueror. Huh? 
they got a baby instead of a creator. Decades later, John began to understand who Jesus is. Now he's, he's, in the, he's, he's thinking about John, and, and he's writing, about, I mean, Jesus, and he's writing, and he began to get some understanding. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, all, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But at his birth... See, at his birth, God was getting rid of the leaven. Getting rid of those who, who, who thought they knew God, but really didn't. Getting rid of, the Bible says when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, he said, beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because, you know, people always say, oh, you know, I don't want to go to church. Have you ever heard this? I hear this all the time. I don't want to go to church because those hypocrites. Right? And I go, wow, that's heavy. And then I, my, my, my follow-up question is, how many hypocrites are in the nightclub? And you go there. How many hypocrites are in the bar? And you go there. So next time you're walking up to the bar, say, I don't want to go in that bar. Too many hypocrites. And if you can't say that, don't ever say that about church. Because me, I, I, the more the hypocrites, the better. I, I, love, I love my church full of hypocrites. Because really, if we are honest with ourselves, we're all a little hypocritical. Right? So I want my, if you're a hypocrite, welcome. One hypocrite to another. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus to keep me straight. Because the, the world is, is a hypocrite. You think the president is telling you the truth? You think the governor is, is, is honest and honorable? Are you kidding me? But at least in church, the power of God can get a hold of you. Something can happen in your life. Well, you say, I don't want to be a hypocrite any longer. I want to do what's right. Hmm? See, those who wanted power, they were disappointed. In fact, there were many who wanted revenge, and they were angered. See, but those who wanted to know God found their reward. The shepherds. They found their reward. Years later, the Magi came. They found what they were looking for. Huh? God became a baby. Not, think about that. I can understand that. Their problem. God became their baby. What does that mean? That means that God went potty in his diaper. Think about that picture. No one ever imagined that God would go poo-poo. We don't think that. But let's be for real. We're walking into the manger, a stinking manger, wild animals. I get out of my way, cow. And then we see this baby, a little baby. And then it's got to go to the bathroom. And then in our natural mind, we're going to say, that's the Messiah? Are you kidding me? That can't be the Messiah. He's going poo-poo in his diapers. See, I understand. I'm like, wow, that's heavy. Huh? Oh, no. See, Jesus gave up all his power, became a baby. How can this be the Savior? At his birth, no one recognized him. Wow, a baby. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 reads, And she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, 
because there was no room for them in the inn. Laid them in a manger. Doesn't that sound nice? Oh, they laid them in a manger. And let me, let me quantify or qualify rather what a manger is. A manger is where the animals would eat their food. If it was, could, could hold water, where they would stick their long tongues and slurp up all the water, they put Jesus in a manger. No, it was an animal trough. It was a stinking barn, poop everywhere, animals in the way, and they put God in his diapers, swaddling clothes. Isn't that so nice, swaddling clothes? In his diapers, probably poo-poo diapers, in an animal trough. And then they, people come up and said, that's God? Can't, are you kidding me? That can't be God. See, now I kind of understand how, why no one recognized him. Right? If they had known the baby was their Savior, they would have made room for him. Remember, they said, there's no room in the inn. Can't come in here. And they kept pushing the baby. Well, but, you know, because you meet Mary, Mary, but I'm, I'm, I'm birthing God. You're birthing who? Now think about Mary. Now poor Mary. Mary. She was pregnant, right, and engaged to be married. A couple things wrong there. First of all, you're supposed to have be, well, nowadays it's hard to say, but people, most women say, what's wrong with that? Well, back then it's a little different. She was pregnant and betrothed to be married. It means, really, we would call her day, she got pregnant before marriage. And, and now she's telling us, this is God. She was, can I say it like this? People would assume that she had sex or she was hoying around before she got married. And here she comes, this fat little girl, 16. You're even, like, maybe younger than that. Little girl pregnant, you're supposed to wait till after the marriage to have the baby, and then you give me this lame brain excuse that God and pregnant made me. Oh, yeah, right, and my name is John Travolta. I mean, you can't, it's hard to buy that. It's hard to buy that. And see, this is what they had to face. So they go to the inn, so you can't blame the innkeeper. Get out of here. You're not even married and you're pregnant. No, 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 go find somewhere else. To, to. Can you see the problem? Because they didn't recognize. They didn't recognize that this was Mary, who the Holy Spirit had come upon her and impregnated, impregnated her. This was Joseph, who an angel had spoke to him and told him what was going to happen. And Joseph obeyed. They didn't know that story. All they seen was a young girl out of wedlock, pregnant. Hmm? That first Christmas night, there was no room for Joseph, Mary, or Jesus at the inn. See, so that inn means indwelling, a dwelling place, somewhere where you live. Amen? See, in like manner, you are the inn of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, you should be. You should be the temple. That's what God created you to be, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So do you have room for God in your life? Or is there no room? Huh? Can light and darkness coexist? See, many have no room for Jesus because their actions push them away. It's not that God doesn't want them. They, God does want them. He went to the extent that he sent his son to die. He went, to, he went beyond that. There's testimony after testimony, lives after lives that he used to try to get your attention. But sometimes our actions push God away. Some kicked Jesus out of the inn. 
So, but I thank God. I thank God today. Let me say it again. I thank God that today we are all spending time together in the presence of the Lord. I thank God. See, because you don't have to be here. You could be anywhere else. You could be having a barbecue. You could be losing weight eating five tacos, if that's possible. But you're here. Why? Because that tells me inside your heart, deep in your, inside your life, something inside you is saying, I got to open up to God. There's more to life than what I have. There's something in me. And that's why you're here today. Because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So while others are at the malls, you're in church. Because I love Christmas. I really do love Christmas. The whole world focuses on Christmas. I enjoy the fun of Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, Frosty the snowman, I do, elves, and I like Santa Claus, except when he hits me like that. I go down, I seen Santa Claus the other day, I go, Santa Claus, can you do me a favor? He goes, get over here, ask me anything you want. And I just love playing around and having a good time on Christmas. And I, and I feel I hurt for those who, who've been trapped by maybe their past, hurt through a, a holiday, and they're down at this time. That, that bothers me the most. So I try to do all I can to tell you, you know, it's going to be all right. But it, you don't know how bad my situation is. You know, if it's bad, it's okay because God often starts when things are ugly. Don't be discouraged. Be of good cheer. You're right. You're right where God wants you. He's got your attention. Does he not? See, see Christmas is a good time. However, there's one, one thing that I hate about Christmas. The devil has blinded so many into bondage. Right? Sometimes Rudolph, Frosty, the elves... And Santa Claus, they get a little too much attention. Don't let Walmart, Pennies, or Target bring you down. Don't get involved in that. Don't, don't, don't let it pull you down. See, there are so many things that sidetrack our worship and our praise. Huh? Unfortunately, there's, there's a world full of people that don't recognize Jesus because they see the tree. Or they're, they're having this party over here. And they forget what Christmas is all about. And in effect, they push Jesus because they have no room. Just like that first Christmas. John 1.10 reads like this. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So I, 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 I challenge you today. Today is the best time to receive Jesus. I dare you. Sissy, cross that line. Confess the Lord. Be obedient to his calling. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. See, those who recognize Jesus, they confess him. Those who, who see Jesus for who really is, they obey his call. They strive towards holiness. Holiness means to, to separate yourself towards God. 
to be wholly accepted, focused on God. Now, that doesn't mean life spins around and you have no attention. No, no, no. But, but God is the center of life. So whatever is your center, your centrifugal force, you have to replace it with God and keep doing what you're doing. But replace that, that centerpiece with the Lord. Separate yourself unto God. See, because if you do not separate unto the Lord, you are in danger of drifting away. Hebrews 2.1 reads, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. I have to pay more and more attention every single day because of all of you, I am just as uh, susceptible of drifting away as anybody else. I have to keep paying attention, paying attention, paying attention. Why? Because I don't want to drift away. I want to always have room for God in, in my life, in my temple. Because huh? there are often some here, perhaps, who, are, who, who may not understand what I'm saying. Or maybe you don't know how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Huh? But today, turn your attention. Even now, some of you are thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. Your stomach's growling. Right? Focus. Pay attention. Huh? God wants to use you. See, you have to devote your life. The, the, the church was began by, by a bunch, a motley crew of individuals. They didn't have any special gifts. They, they didn't have anything going for them. But they decided to devote themselves. And the Bible said they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devote yourself. Have you ever been devoted? And so I don't, you know, when you look at like professional athletes, they know how to devote themselves. Because an amateur will get into a gym and work out for a little while, but a professional will devote themselves to it. That's why they become a pro. Whatever you're, if you become a pro in whatever you do, you have to devote yourself. If you want to get an education, you can't get it by email. You have to devote yourself. So whatever you want to be good at, you have to devote yourself. Best runner, devoted. Best painter, you got to devote yourself. Best husband, you need to devote yourself. Best wife, devote. See, I want to follow God wholeheartedly. But I understand, I have to devote myself to it. Really put my attention to it as I'm closing. See, to devote oneself to the Lord means to steadfastly be attentive. Pay attention. Don't let your mind wander. God wants to speak to you right to the end. Pay attention. I tell people often this time, God is always speaking if we only listened. Why do you think there's so much activity for you? The more money you have, the more activity you can have. Uh, the more recreation or the more things you can do to keep yourself occupied. All these things are coming at you. Why? Just so it can take your attention off God. God. See, to be devoted means to, can be, to be in one place all the time. You're devoted. Could you imagine if you were married. Who's married? Richard, who's married? Imagine if you were married, but you told your significant other, I will be with you every other Tuesday. 
because I'm going to put you into my schedule. My schedule. How, how, how long would that last? After your wife slapped you and you picked yourself up from the floor, you would say, oh, just kidding. I'll be here every day after work where I'm supposed to be. Why? Because I'm devoted to you. Huh? Right? So if that's true with your wife, how much more is it true with God? Do we just put him in your schedule? Are you devoted? You have to continue always in one place. Fellowship, church, reading the Word, studying, devoted. Devoted also means to, to persevere, not to faint, not to get tired. When you're devoted, you don't give up. You don't give up. You keep pressing on. You, you add that extra. It's like when I, when I go to gym, I, love, I, love, I go to gym three or four times a week. So I, I always rate, you know, after a few weeks at a certain weight level, I'll always add a little more. But this is what I do. I'll have to be at a certain weight level, and I know I can't do this ten times, but I might be able to do this one once. Right? So I do my, my regular workout, then I go to the one I can't do. Always, every time. And I go, and one to grow on. I grab that one, and I, boom, and I cling and jerk it. Bam! And I, I could barely do it one time. Sometimes I don't even get it up, but I put it down. I go, okay. But I tried it. So I do my workout, and at the end I go, and one to grow on. And one to grow on. I don't just go, well, what I need to go. I, I always go a step further. That, that Bible calls it going the extra mile. Devoted. Devoted also means to show one courageous and not be afraid. And I really believe this is probably the main problem with people. Some people are just embarrassed what people will think. What would happen if you, be, you fell in love with Jesus? You have to have courage. There is no room for cowards in Christianity. If you're more concerned with what people think, you're going to have trouble. You are. Forget what people think. You have to understand, and you've got to be concerned with what God thinks. When you're, when you're on your deathbed, and I will often share this, I have the privilege of being on my deathbed. When I was on my deathbed, the doctor said I had an 80% chance of dying. And I love my children. And I love my wife. But the only thing I thought about was God. I was, and I go, oh, God. I'm not ready. Are you sure I got to die now? The doctor said, I'm going to die. I didn't think about my wife. That's mind-boggling. I love my wife because I knew when I face my maker, she's not going to be there. My children are not going to be there. Your boss is not going to be there. Your friends who you want to impress are not going to be there. It's between you and God. Oh, so it takes courage to fight off because those are heavy pressures. What do people think? How do I act? It takes courage. To, to be devoted, you have to be constant, in a state of constant readiness. Always ready. Because you're devoted. You're devoted. You're devoted. See, to be devoted is when you recognize, as I close, Jesus is my Lord. He is not just the Lord of Lords. He's my Lord. See, that's why all that happened. God orchestrated everything. Right? The birth. Just so that he can get us to a point where we would have to say, I'm going to devote my life to you, God. I do recognize who you are. 
I'm not going to be like those, those in the first night who didn't see and let the other things get in their way. I recognize you, God, and I want to devote my life to you. So that's what Christmas is all about, the Christmas story of Jesus coming for people who would reject him, coming for people who would ultimately kill him, knowing that he would die. He came anyway. He chose to leave heaven, come into the worst of place to be born, from all power to complete dependency on one woman. He did that for me. He did it for you. He did it for us all. Do you see Jesus today? Do you recognize him? More importantly, do you have room for him? I want every head bowed and every eye closed.